Heaven, Lord, thank you for Steve and his leadership of our team and for those men that he mentioned that are, that are just seeking you. God, would you provide for us? Show us what your plan is. And Lord, more important than, than buildings and plans and all of that is we ask that you would draw people to yourself. Father, just reach this community. Lord, as Centerpoint Bible Church is becoming in many ways just the epicenter of what you're doing right here. Lord, there's just everyone coming all around us. Father, we pray that you would just make your gospel clear, that you would raise up Jesus, and you would draw people to yourself. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we did have a few minor glitches there, but thanks, Tim, for taking care of us. So um, I just want to say a couple more things that are on the worship notes, and, and Mrs. Gaynor Hearn walked out of the room, but you guys got to let her know that I said this. On Friday, the seniors are having their lunch at Haas's, okay? So I need, you know, all, all of us to let, to let Mrs. Hearn know that I did announce that. Right, Pastor Billy? That's important for us to pass on. Um, I did want to mention one other thing that was on the worship notes, though. Uh, there's some neat things happen with the ladies in our church, and I just want to mention that. Um, we'll have some more information coming in the next couple of weeks, but, but a week from Monday, if you look on your worship notes right in the middle, a week from Monday, there's a playground day. See, there's been a lot of women in our church getting together at different playgrounds with their children throughout the summer. And man, there is a special one coming up. I mean, there really is. At John and Kim Biddle's house. I mean, they have a zoo there. I'm telling you. you, you if, if you have children, and sorry, John. Yeah, yeah. They, they have so many animals there. And so uh, 10 o'clock on Monday, August 14th, um, Kim is opening up her home. If anybody wants to come, I mean, we got dogs and horses and a pig that lives in the house. Okay. I mean, it's just, so come out on that day. I know it'll be a neat day. I don't think there's probably any, any age restriction. Um, just come if you want to see some of those animals, that'll be a fun day. So thank you, John, for clarifying that. Yes. It's tough to live that one down for a while. But. And then also this Thursday is a neat day for our youth ministry as Pastor Billy will be heading up to Rocky Gap with all those going into what grade? Okay, and they, the information is there on your worship notes, but you need to meet up that day, Pastor Billy. All right, so 9 a.m. for all those going to 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. That'll be a neat day. Well, did you know that Centerpoint Bible Church sends out a podcast every single week? Did you know that? Typically on Mondays, there is an email and a Facebook message and an Instagram message and a whatever message that goes out and and gives you a link to the podcast from Centerpoint Bible Church. And once a week, um, somebody gets on there and, and talks about just things that are happening in our church and, and just kind of po- take a moment to just point you to Jesus Christ in his word, wherever you are, riding down the road or, or working around the house or whatever. And I wanted to take just a couple seconds and share one of those with you today because it actually really leads into our message. So I think we have the technology to do this, okay? But let's give it a try. Go ahead. Hi everybody, 
This is Billy, and I'm sitting here beside Lowell, and you're listening to the Centerpoint Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We've got, uh, we've got a lot to talk about today, and uh, really re- it revolves around intimacy with God. But a couple things kind of spurred our thinking on it, and the first thing that we want to talk about is our dogs. My dog is the happiest dog in all the world. He's <laughs> got a great life. He loves it. Or does he? I, well, I, think, I think dogs really don't have much to worry about. They don't. They don't. And his life is so simple, but he's always happy. I walk in the house, his tail is wagging like crazy. Yeah, every, just... time, every time I come into my house, the dog comes and puts his feet on my leg and just is wagging, just wants me to just love on him. He's just so, so happy that you're home. But think about his life. Think about the life of the average dog. The average dog does nothing. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no trips. He never goes anywhere. I mean, get his hair cut right. you know, to the groomer. That's it. He always is in my house. In the same house, seeing the same things. You come into your house, and what does he do? What does oh, he do, first thing he does? First thing he does is he wags his tail like crazy, grabs a little toy, starts shaking around, wants me to play with it. How many toys does he have? One toy, an old beanie baby that's all <laughs> torn to pieces, but he loves it. He, he just begs me to throw it so he can go get it, and he comes back with so much gusto. He's so excited. He's so encouraged because I'm playing with him. And they're so excited when they eat. Think about their meal. They have the same meal every <laughs> single day. Can I have some dry kibble, please? <laughs> dry, <laughs> crunchy. <laughs> this, uh, you know, the same meal every single day. How I, would I handle that? Can I please wash it down with some straight water? <laughs> no Pepsi, no tea, Drop no some, coffee. Maybe a little bit of dirt in it. <laughs> Both dirty. The, the, his his food bowl, his water he's bowl is dirty. In it. He's fine with that. He loves it. He's, oh, he's, all he lives for is honestly being with me. Yeah, yeah. He's completely content. Yeah. He's more than content. He's yeah. absolutely satisfied. There's times where I'm sitting at my house and... Our dogs, completely satisfied. They have everything that they want. When they sit there at my feet, dirty bowl, same old dry dog food. What a life they live. I mean, would you like to be free? I mean, truly free from the burden of being dissatisfied. I mean, what if there was an antidote? What if there was an antidote to materialism? What if there was an antidote to coveting? What if there was an antidote to the the perpetual chasing after things? What if we could be content? Our dogs, our animals, many of them, I hope yours is, I think mine is. He's got a pretty good life. He's satisfied. Animals are content. But oh, we struggle, don't we? Do you struggle with this? Do you struggle with contentment? Do you you struggle not to to see what your neighbor has and to see what your neighbor does and to see where they go and to think, I want to do that. I want to do that. Why is that? I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about the reality that that the reason why our animal, our, our cat, our dog can be so content is quite honestly is they live an absolutely unopposed life. They live an unopposed 
life. But you and I, we live in the opposition of this world all the time. We are surrounded by people who are calling us to be discontent, who are calling us to live for our own selfish desires, who are calling for us to try to find some kind of meaning or satisfaction or or joy in the things of this earth at the cost of God. You know, I want to talk about an issue today that, um, honestly, I... I look back over the last nine years of my ministry here at Centerpoint, and I've neglected it. I've neglected it. So in some ways, I, I almost need to apologize to you guys today. I've talked about some tough things up here. You know that? I, I don't pull many punches. I've talked about sexuality and homosexuality and the definition of marriage. I've talked about anger and abuse and, and how we might deal with our family and our friends. I, I believe that at times we, we've allowed God to really challenge us in a lot of ways. But there's been an area that I've become convicted about in our, my study of Ephesians chapter 4 that I've pulled punches on. And that's a mistake. And it's the area of our money and our generosity in our giving. Now, maybe in an effort to rationalize and to, to comfort myself, I've, I've thought about what, why do I feel like I want to pull back in those areas? Why? I think part of the reason is because I, I didn't want to be lumped in with those pastors. You know, the ones who use their, their spiritual authority to line their own pockets. The, the ones who are calling for you to just dial in this 1-800 number and, and give this amount of money and, and we'll send you this whatever and then it'll multiply over in your pocket. I, I didn't want to be sort of grouped in, categorized with those people. And so maybe I've stayed away from it. But that's wrong. A huge part of God's design in our life A huge part of God's call in our life is how we spend our money, is our generosity, and is understanding a truth that a man named Art Rayner put into words that I want to show you on the screen here. It's a great quote. He said this, God has designed us not to be hoarders, not to be hoarders but conduits through which his generosity flows. Art Rayner expressed that in his book, The Money Challenge. I I recommend if if finances are a challenge for you, get the book. But probably better than that, open up this book. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to get to Ephesians in just a minute, but I just want to warm you up for really what, we're going to talk about today. And that is this concept of our generosity, our giving, and what we do with our money. Jesus had much to say about it. Much to say. There's much more in the Bible about our money than our marriage. There's much more in the Bible about our money than how you handle your relationships. 
There's much more in the Bible about our money than our materialistic pursuits. Matthew chapter 6, I just want to take just a moment here and, and show you some of the things that Jesus had to say about our money. And then we'll go to Ephesians and we'll see the antidote that God intends to break the back of materialism in our life. To break the back of coveting and greed. He has a solution. He does. Matthew chapter 6. Look what Jesus said in verse 19. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. In other words, don't hoard. And where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth moth nor rust destroys. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, this is part of my really coming under the conviction of neglect. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Where Where you place your treasure... Your heart will be there. God's design for us is that he would have all of us. That our heart would be all of his. So I want to put my treasure there. It's easy to wrongly interpret scripture. And to say, oh, by treasure, Jesus probably meant your time. He probably meant your prayer. He probably meant, you know, just just the things that you think about. No. No. He meant our dollars. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be. In case you are struggling to see that, look what else it says. Jump down to verse number 24. Same passage. Same paragraph practically in Jesus' exposition here. He says in verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Can't do it. Look down at verse 33. You're going to learn a little further. Look what Jesus says. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And all these things, all these things will be added to you. We need to be careful with our money. We need to understand some truths about our dollars. We understand what God has warned us about regarding our treasure. 1 Timothy chapter 6 warns us. You can turn here if you want to. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 6 through 10 It warns, it says that God is with contentment is great gain. And in verse number 10, it says this, that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. We need to understand some things about money. God does not forbid the possession of money. God doesn't forbid the possession of money. God God does not forbid the, the healthy pursuit of money. You know that? God doesn't forbid that. He doesn't forbid for you to have things. He doesn't forbid for you to, in a healthy, in a God-honoring way, do things to provide for you and your family. God doesn't forbid that. But he warns us in many passages about the love of money. 
by now. Some of you are there. Verse number 10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Look what it does. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. In Mark chapter 4, what Jesus explained in the parable of the soils, Remember that? Four soils? You had, a, you, had a, you had a soil that, you had three soils that were no good, and four, the fourth was good. And the, the seed grew in that soil and produced a great fruit. But the third soil that proved unfaithful, do you know why that soil was proven unfaithful? Because of the desires for riches. Because of the desires of riches. The soil of our heart is proved unfaithful faithful. Many, many Bible commentators believe that that third soil is speaking of a person who's not even in the faith. And so our very salvation is dependent upon what our view is of our treasure. It's a serious matter. Some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves now with many pangs because of the love of money. And we've all seen it. We can all give many, many examples. Ephesians 4 will give us a clue. Go there with me, would you? Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go there and see what counsel Paul, as the Holy Spirit inspired him, what counsel did he give one who was struggling, was struggling against this desire for things, was struggling against this idol of material things, was struggling against this passion for treasure. Look what he says in Ephesians chapter 4. I think I have it for the screen for you, but follow along with me in your Bible if you've got it. Look what it says. In verse number 25, let's get the context. Paul writes, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And then it says this. Let the thief no longer steal. But rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Here it is. Here it is. We have this man, a thief. He, we understand how he gets there. Or she gets there. We can certainly understand it. We have all stolen on one occasion or another. Don't tell me you haven't, okay? Could be a cookie from the cookie jar, right, students? Right, teens? We have all stolen. Not one of us is innocent. So what drives this person? What drives them? What drives them is the pursuit for things. I want this thing that I cannot have on my, through my own means. So I, so I will just oppose the system that is laid out before me, oppose the providence of God, and I will grab things for myself and take them for me. Now, I love the fact that God's word is so practical. It doesn't just say, stop stealing. See, that's law. That's law. 
Stop stealing. With all of your might, stop stealing. That's not the counsel the Spirit of God gives. The Spirit of God says this. Work. Labor. You see, it's, God does not forbid the possession of money. He does not forbid the healthy pursuit of money, the God-honoring pursuit of money. But he goes on and says, you, thief, earn and then give. Be generous and break the back of materialism. There is an antidote. There is an antidote for the worst sickness of all of America. I see our Facebook feeds. I see the television commercials. I see the magazine articles. We know our sickness. We are the wealthiest nation of all time, and we're not satisfied. We're not content. We have to have more. We are sick, folks. We're sick. We cannot have enough. We are, we are being given things that are designed to be obsolete in 18 months so that we'll go buy another and we're counting down the days till the iPhone 10 is released so I can find a way to have it. We are in so much debt as, as, a, as a culture. It is unbelievable. I hesitated to share a number with you because for some of you this will be an encouragement and for others of you it might really convict you. But the average American who has credit card debt today, now I know some of you don't have credit card debt. Credit card debt meaning with a card, consumer debt, clothing, groceries, toys, those kind of things, trips. The average American, a recent study found, has over $16,000 in consumer debt on credit card earning 16 point whatever percent interest. Now, that may be more than you. It may be less than you. Don't be encouraged or challenged by that. That's not what it's about. It's about helping us understand we have a sickness. We have a sickness. God doesn't desire for us to have a pursuit of things. He, he doesn't give us money. He doesn't give us money just to, to feed my flesh and to give me what myself wants. He gives to us in his generosity. He gives to us so that we as children flowing against the culture Against those pagans that we mentioned at the start of the service. Against them. And being generous. Being generous. So I want to talk today about our giving. I want to talk about our giving. And I want to go to the key passages in all of the Bible, New Testament, about giving. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And let's just have just a, a, little, a little primer here. A little bit of a, a teaching on giving. On giving and, and what does God intend with our giving. And I want to answer just a couple questions while we turn there. Okay? Because I remember before I was a pastor, I wasn't born a pastor. Okay? I, I spent a long time when I was just like you, and I'm still just like you, but, but I had another job. Okay? And I sat there and was a pastor up front. And there were questions that I actually wanted to ask him about money. And so I'm going to answer these questions for you. Number one, do I give to the church? Yes, I do. 
Yes, our family gives to the church. You might wonder, you might think that's strange if you know anything about how the church finances work, but it's an act of worship. It's an act of worship. Yes, I give to the church regularly. Am I paid by the church? I sure am, and I'm very thankful for that. I am. There's two of our pastors that are paid by the church. Um, the other questions will, will come about that. Do I determine my salary? Well, now that's a good question. And I do not. I do not. Okay? There, there are some individuals who make that decision, primarily at rest in the hands of the pastor elder team, but they decide how much I'm paid. Okay? Am I rich? No, I'm not. I'm not. Um, am I poor? No, I'm not. I'm not. We, we, we have more than we need. Okay? I live in a very modest house. We've been to my home. Very modest home. I'd love to have you there. Come on over. The house will be a mess, but that's okay. Until my wife gets home and cleans up after me. I have an office there now, so come on over. That'd be great. Do I pay taxes? Yes, I do. Yes, just because this is a non-profit, I still pay taxes just like you. Okay, I pay personal taxes and have to do all that. Here's a question. Do I know what people are giving in the church? Well, let me get out my list here. Um, no, I have no idea. I have no idea what anybody gives in this church. We made very intentional effort. From day one, there is a very tall brick wall between me and what anybody gives in this church. I have no idea. I've had people say to me, I've had people say to me, well, you know, Pastor Lowell, that gift I gave a couple weeks ago, and I'd, I, 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 I'd always tell them, I have no idea what anybody gives in this church. I don't want to know, and that's how we're going to keep it. So no, I don't know. Here's a question. Do I worry about money? Well, I'm human, aren't I? I mean, I have to deal with that too. Yes, I, we have to figure out at the end of the month how we're going to make the bills and, the, and the, the two ends meet. Yes, same boat that we're all in. Let's talk about giving though. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians is a fabulous book. Uh, you should spend time in it because what happens is we have a, a man, the Apostle Paul, who was very um, influential in this church, okay? And um, I believe he wrote, he wrote at least two letters. He wrote many letters to the church in Corinth, okay? And in one of those letters, he challenges the church to deal with sin in the church. There's an individual in the church who's in sin, and Paul says, you deal with this individual. You have to. I know you don't want to, but you need to. And so the church followed through and obeyed what, they, what the Spirit of God directed to do in their life. They dealt with the one in sin. And what happened, I believe, as I read First and Second Corinthians, is the people in the church got mad at Paul. They got mad at Paul. And I think one of the chief reasons is because he challenged them to deal with sin. And that happens. That happens. Well, the church in Corinth had really made a promise. They had made a commitment that they were going to help support the ministry and help support the poor in Jerusalem. And as they got angry at Paul, they said, and we're not giving you any more money. We're not giving you more offering. And so Paul wrote a lot of the book of 2 Corinthians to answer that. 
So we come to chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, and we have a spiritual leader here now challenging the body of Christ to be generous and to give. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 8, and let's see what it says. And really, we're coming underneath the title here, and I'm looking at the time. I'm probably going to get through half of this, so that's just the way it goes. I, I won't drag it out the next week, but we're probably going to get through half. So those OCD people that are worried about the blanks, see me after church. Um, but first, number 1 of chapter 8, here's what it says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, first of all, what is that? Macedonia is another area. This is Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. And he's saying, hey, something cool has happened in Macedonia, and we want you to know about it. So this is like me telling our church, let me tell you what's happening over in Jefferson County at this other church. Okay? So what's going to happen is Paul now, the Spirit of God, is bringing Paul to affirm what is happening in another church. And through the affirmation of this church in Macedonia, he's going to teach us how we are to give. See, he's going to affirm the giving that's happening in the poor communities, by the way, of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. They're poor people. They're poor And Paul is going to affirm them, not because of the size of their gift, but because of the heart of the giver. It's very important for us to understand. So he says, the grace of God has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of of generosity on their part. For they, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Verse 6, accordingly, We urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. What that means is, Titus is saying, he's saying, Titus, you go challenge them, challenge the church in Corinth to do the same. To do the same. So how are we to give? That's what I want to, I want to walk through this passage and see, how are we to give? Okay? Okay. First of all, verse number one and following explains that we give, I'm going to say responsively, in response to the grace of God. Look at verse number one. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God is beginning with the churches of Macedonia. What happened is the churches in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, they understood the gospel. They understood grace. They understood that God did a work for them at the cross. And because of that grace, they wanted to give. They wanted to give. Now, what does that mean? How does responding to the grace of God bring us to give? Well, first of all, think about this. When we respond to the grace of God and the Spirit of God comes and dwells in us, what does the Spirit of God do? What does the Spirit of God do in you when he comes and lives in you? Now, if you ask me that question, Lowell, what does the Spirit of God do? What's the first thing or the most important thing that the Spirit of God does in a believer when he comes in and dwells? You know what my answer would be? The number one thing that the Spirit of God does in that believer's life? 
conform them to the image of Christ. He conforms them to the image of Christ. So this grace of God comes into them and conforms them to the image of Christ. And so therefore, what are they going to do? They're going to give. They're going to give. God is a generous God. As the grace of God works in us, he makes us like him. He who was rich took on great poverty. Look down at verse number nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. And that word poor, intentionally, Paul is using the exact same word as extreme poverty. It's deep poverty. Jesus took on poverty so he could give to us. The other thing I think that happens in the response to grace is this. When I come to Christ and I believe on Jesus, I now want to see other people do the same. Like I, I try, I pray, God, give me your eyes for people. So when I see people in, in regular life, when I see them at Walmart or at the ball field or at the school or whatever, I see them as people who are potential worshipers of God. They could be people glorifying God. And I want to see them come to Christ. And I know the way that ministry works. Like here's another question on my sheet I didn't get to. Where does Centerpoint get its money? If they pay pastors... If Centerpoint pays for this building, if Centerpoint pays for this property, where do they get money? Do we sell something or do we, you know, do we have big bake sales or, 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 no. The only place that Centerpoint Bible Church receives any money is God's people. God's people. As I read the New Testament, there are two things that the early church gave towards. Generous towards. One, Helping people in poverty. We see that. Helping poor people. But secondly, supporting ministry. Supporting ministry. First Timothy chapter 5. Let those who lead well and who labor in the word receive double honor. And what that word means, it means support. It is of God that the ministry of the church be supported by the church. That's his plan. Respond to grace. Let's keep going. I got to go a whole lot faster. Look at verse number two. For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed. So God is calling us to give joyfully. Joyfully give. It's not, it's not under compulsion. That's second. You can look over at chapter 9. You can see where I'm not going to get to. Okay, We don't do it under compulsion. Look at verse number 7. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to give and be, be happy that I, I get to give. I, 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 have this, I have this provision of the Lord. And now I get to give. And the thing I really appreciate about this is they're generous. That's my third point in verse number two. They're generous, but it's in the midst of affliction. It's in the midst of poverty. They are generous while impoverished. 
There have been many a believer who has said these words. I want to give. I want to give. But I just can't yet. I've got to take care of this and this and this and this. Listen, this and this and this and this are going to always be there. And the reason why we have this and this and this and this, whether it be a credit card bill and we're overstretched on our home and we're overstretched on our house and we're overstretched on our clothing budget, and we're over, the reason why that is there is because we're enslaved to exactly what Paul warned about in Ephesians 4. And so to break the back of the materialistic bent that we have in our sinful life, God says, give, give generously. And in verse number three, this is important for they gave according to their means. And the next thing I would say to you is the Bible teaches to give proportionally proportionally. Here's what this means. It means that some people because of their means, remember it's never going to be fair, right? It's never going to be fair. We're not all going to make the same amount of money. We got to get over that. It's never going to be fair. We all have the same spirit. We all have the same Jesus, but we're never going to be equal. So we are to give as the Lord leads according to our means proportionally. Now, a lot of people have questions about tithing. Should I tithe? Well, first of all, you need to understand something very clearly. The Old Testament, to my knowledge, never says the word tithe. It always says tithes, plural. Did you know that? Under the law. They didn't just tithe once. They tithed over and over and over again. Now, I do not believe that we are under the New Testament tithe. That that was under the Old Covenant and we're not under the new we're under the new covenant now we don't have that same burden you see that was that was a burden that was compulsory i had to do it the way we give is we give cheerfully as god moves in our heart and so here's here's what i would challenge you to do you say well we don't we don't give all right here's what you do you and your spouse if you're married sit down and have a conversation you say what do you want to do honey I know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 14. God doesn't want what is yours. He wants you. Hear that? He doesn't want what is yours. He wants you. Big difference. 12, 14, 2 Corinthians. You and your spouse had this conversation. What do you want to give? Pray about it. How is, maybe, maybe you don't pray together. Pray about this one. What can we give? And decide upon a percentage. And say, as the Lord enables, we're going to give 5%. We're going to give 10%. We're going to give 3.8%. Whatever it is. I, I shouldn't have given any numbers. Okay, You let the Lord lead you. And then, what, what we do is in our budget, that's item number one. Item number one. This is the first thing. This is first. And it's an act of faith in proportion to what I receive. What we receive, we give that percentage. You do that by faith. By faith. Now, what is your faith? What is the faith? The faith is this, that when I give that percentage, say X, okay? And so you have left to spend 100 minus X percent, 
Okay? So you've got some that's left. And you are believing by faith that God is going to allow you to live on that. And it requires faith. You say, Lowell, do you worry about money? Yeah. And I sit down and do our budget, and there are many times I look at that number. It's not a huge number, but it's a number. And I think, you know, if I could take that money and I could do such and such with it, it'd be a whole lot easier. But I'm going to go by faith. That God is going to take what is left and allow me to live on that. He's going to provide what I need. Now, I'm not telling you, if you give God 100 bucks, he's going to give you 300 next week. I'm not telling you that, and you know that. However, let me tell you a story. Because God does some neat things sometimes. I don't think I've ever told you this story before. One time I was standing in church, and a man walked up to me and put out his hand and shook my hand. And there was something inside. And I pulled it back. It was a $100 bill. He said, I know you got a birthday coming up. I just want you to have that. Hmm, it's interesting. I walked away from him and I bumped into, actually, no, let me back up. I left church that day and got in a car. I'm riding up the road and there's this old, old man. I mean, oh, you think you're old? He's older than you, okay? Walking up the interstate. I got $100 in my pocket. It's the next day. I'm thinking about what I'm going to spend this on. And I pull over, see this old guy. I'm like, man, you need a ride? Yeah, I do. I'm trying to get to Hagerstown and catch a bus. I said, get in. He said, I don't have any money. I said, that's all right. I'll go up to Hagerstown, buy him a ticket, give him the difference. I figured, you know what? I didn't do anything to get that money. I'm just going to give it away. Gave him the 100 bucks. The next week I go to church. I'm not kidding you. A man walks up to me and says, Lowell, I'm going to give you 100 bucks. I'm like, really? Yeah. All right. Paid the $100. I walk away, this woman walks up to me, single mom, actually single expectant mother. Tell me what's going on in her life. I said, you need help here. I gave her the hundred bucks. Thank you. I said, listen, don't thank me. It never was my money. It never was my money. I'm just, I'm just a conduit. I'm just giving it to you. Well, thank you, thank you. I left. I'm not kidding you. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't, I didn't like put this on Twitter. Somebody walks up to me, gives me a hundred bucks. I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? This kid in my youth ministry needed something in their life. And their family was not very well off. So just, I hope they're not in the room. Just confidentially, I just went to their mother and said, here, use this to take care of it. It didn't happen again. I was like, come on, Lord, one more time. Here's my point. We give, and it's a pleasure to give. And God provides. I got to give and, be, and have the joy of giving to somebody else. <laughs> it really didn't cost me anything. All my needs were met. All my needs were met. God met all of my needs. Now, believe, believe me, I would have loved taking that 100 bucks and bought me some golf clubs, okay, or something else. I don't know. All right, I would have loved to take that money. And, and believe me, 
There's been other times I've done that. I'm not saying every time you get $100, you gotta, you've got to do that. I'm not saying that. But as the Lord leads in your life, this is New Testament giving because the Spirit of God indwells us. And so we give. Even in our poverty, we give. Even in our affliction, we give. Because we're saying to ourselves and we're saying to our family and we're saying to our God, I will not bow to the idol of materialism. I will break the back of greed. I don't live for this place. You don't meet my needs, Centerpoint Bible Church. You don't meet my needs. The check has Centerpoint Bible Church in the upper left-hand column. But you don't meet my needs. God does. I don't, know what, I don't know what name is on your check. But that's not who meets your needs. The Lord does. And so I have a worship experience when I can give generously to the Lord. See, I was wrong for neglecting this. I was wrong. I was wrong for not telling you this is what God wants for you. I was keeping from you something that is good. Something that is God-like. Something that is like his son. But verse number four goes on. And it says, you do this sacrificially. We got that one, okay? But look at verse number four. These, These poor people in Macedonia are begging earnestly for the favor, for the favor now of taking part in the relief of the saints. They're voluntarily saying, we want to do this. And it goes on, it goes on to explain in verse five and following, look at verse number five and I'll probably run out of time now. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Not only are they giving all these things responsively, responding to the gospel and joyfully and generously and proportionally and sacrificially and voluntarily, but wholeheartedly they're saying, God, all I have is yours, so I will trust you to keep meeting my needs. Walk by faith. Walk by faith. Here's the challenge. The wonderful thing about God is this. He does this miracle in our life. He does this work of grace in our life. I mean, he saves us, at the, saves us on the cross and dies for us and, and raises to life. He does, this, he does this wonderful work in our life. And through that work, we get all the joy, all the joy of what he did. And he gets all the credit. What a great system God has set up for us, his children, to live obediently, joyfully living out what he calls us to, and the whole time allowing our lives to point to him. So seek him. Seek him. And allow him to lead you and bring you the joy of reflecting his character. Because God didn't make us to be hoarders. He made us to be conduits. Conduits of his grace. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you for your word and thank you for the truth of it, the practical nature of it. And Lord, I do pray that you would increase our faith, not because we desire the gift, as Paul said in, in, in the book of Corinthians, Lord, but because you desire us. Maybe walk by faith, Lord, and may we live out your character as we trust you. And Lord, I pray for the one here who is afflicted and maybe even impoverished, Lord. I know that there are some that probably are struggling over just getting through this month. Lord, increase their faith. Let them know you're with them. Meet their needs. Most of all, help us to know that you don't want, you don't want what is ours. You want us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.